Thank you guys for that one. Appreciate that. Uh, this is our sermon series on forgotten virtues, and so far we've looked at honor, purity, loyalty, integrity, and tonight we're going to close it out by looking at the forgotten virtue of gratitude. Uh, a Boston consultant was working with a bunch of college graduates looking for jobs, and he took all these college graduates and he did a survey of how they were perceived by prospective employers. Uh, he discovered that ins- employers in the workforce today uh, have a term that they use to describe uh, this emerging generation. It's pretty consistent across the board, and the word begins with E. Uh, what do you think the E word is that describes the next generation of workers? Uh, is it energetic? Is it excellent? Efficient? Uh, no. Actually, the word that was used to describe the next generation is the word entitled. Uh, Employers are feeling that the millennials, and actually they've labeled them as the entitled generation. Uh, They feel like everybody owes them something. Now, before those of us who are older start complaining about the younger generation, we have to realize that it's our attitudes and actions that have created a generation that feel entitled. Uh, How do we do that? Well, for one thing, for a lot of folks my age and older, it was very typical that as parents we would work a lot of hours, may probably work too much. Uh, Many times marriages ended up in divorce, and so people love their kids, and they want to make it up to them. Uh, They want to make up their lack of time. Uh, They want to make up some of the pain maybe that they've caused them so they never say no to them. Uh, Here, if you can have this, you can have that, I'll make more money so you can have more. And we've created a generation that feels like, hey, if I want it, I ought to be able to have it. I'm entitled to it. Uh, Another way we've done this is we have protected the upcoming generation from any risk. Uh, There's a sense of overprotection of kids so that there's never any difficulty, never any risk. You know, when I was a kid, you could ride in the back of a pickup with 18 of your friends. And, uh, you know, you can't even ride a bicycle without a helmet these days. Uh, When I was a kid, uh, you actually had to win something uh, to get a trophy. How many of you remember that? You actually had to win to get the trophy. Now, everybody gets a trophy. You know, in fact, it's built in as the parent. When you pay the fee for the kid to do whatever he's going to do, they just charge you up front for a trophy and give everybody a uh, trophy. Now here, Johnny, you were last. You're the slowest. Here's your trophy. Congratulations for being in last place. And um, you know what we've done is we have built a generation of people who just feel entitled. And it's not just the next generation, it's my generation as well. We have come to feel that we are entitled uh, to whatever we have. We're accustomed to our comforts. We've come to think of comforts as necessities. And if I don't have air conditioning and if I don't have internet and I don't have cable, I can hardly function because those are nece- necessary for me. And if I have to do without or if I just have to wait for something, I can become impatient, maybe even angry. So what's the antidote to entitlement? Well, it's the forgotten virtue of gratitude. Everybody just say gratitude. Gratitude. Yeah, there you go. Luke 17, the Bible has a story about some people who felt entitled and didn't stop to show gratitude. 
Luke 17 says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now there's a reason why they cried out from across the road to him. It's because they were lepers. And leprosy was an extremely horrible disease, one of the most horrible, it's kind of a walking death sentence. And uh, lepers would wind up with these sores that would ooze, pus, and infection. Uh, Leprosy actually affects the nervous system, and so uh, you can't feel anything, particularly in the extremities. And so lepers actually wear off their fingers and toes and eventually their hands and feet. They just sort of scrape everything off because they can't feel the pain. Uh, The numbness can be so bad that uh, at night they can go to sleep, and in this day and age, uh, rodents would actually come in and and chew on their bodies, and they wouldn't even know that was happening. It was just a horrible thing. But as bad as all the physical uh, aspect of leprosy was, there was a lot of mental and emotional aspect as well. Uh, It was a dreaded disease, and so anybody who had it was a real pariah. People would avoid them. In fact, they made lepers as they walked along. As they met anyone, they had to cry out, unclean, unclean. And they had to identify themselves as as someone who was uh, contagious and and, uh, dangerous to other people, scaring them off and causing them to run away. Very humiliating thing for them to have to do. A tremendous amount of emotional pain that came with leprosy. Uh, No real relationships, no contact, uh, no real personal intimacy with anybody. And so we've got these ten lepers that Jesus sees across the street. And, and, and they recognize him as the man that's been rumored that he can do miracles. He can heal people. And so they, they get all excited and they cry out, Jesus, please help us. Please heal us. They were looking for the miracle of miracles. Next verse says, when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And then that was the, the pattern there. Occasionally, someone would get healed from leprosy. I would, sometimes it would run its course and they would get healed and, and the way that you demonstrated that you were healed or got a clean bill of health you had to go present yourself to the priest and the priest would examine uh, your body very closely and then would declare you're no longer unclean and so Jesus told them he just said, go present yourself to the priest doesn't even do anything no mud, no spit, no nothing just go show yourself to the priest and it says as they went they were cleansed. You know, they responded in faith, in, in faith, turned, and went to go see the priest, and it was a miracle. They were healed. Their disease was gone. Greatest dream, their most outlandish prayer had just been answered. I mean, these lepers, all ten of them, were healed miraculously. Verse 15. It says, one of them, circle that phrase, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And Jesus is just dumbfounded. These lepers, they were begging for help, crying out for healing. I mean, they were in deep distress. Their life was basically nothing. They're just trying to survive. And they cried out to Jesus, and the miracle of miracles happened, and they were healed. Now, the other nine probably weren't bad guys. It's just 
you know, in their joy and their surprise at being healed, their first response was to rush off and maybe to go to their families, go see their wives or husbands, or I guess they're all guys, so go see their wives, go see their kids, go home to their parents. I want to see my family. But only one stopped to thank God for his blessing. And so my question for you tonight is, will you be the one? Will you be the one? Because truthfully, the odds are stacked against you. Will you be the one that pauses to give thanks to the one who gave you life? Will will you be the one to stop in the midst of all the busyness and, and lift up true heartfelt worship to the Creator? Will you be the one to give thanks to the one and for the one that died for you? Will you be the one? And not just with God. Uh, you know, let's think about people that impact you. Will you be the one that stops long enough to write the thank you note, to express your gratitude to someone who's impacted your life? Will you be the one to thank those who minister to your children faithfully every week? You know, thank you for investing in my kids. Will you be the one to stop and say thank you to your small group leader or thank you to your mom and dad or thank you just to the person at the store who waits on you or serves you, meets your need? Will you be the one to show gratitude? Or will you be like most people today and just think, you know, I got it coming to me. I I, I don't have time to stop and say thank you. Will you be the one or will you continue to live with an attitude of ungratefulness. Now, now, just with all these virtues, you might not say that uh, I'm generally an ungrateful person. You, you might say, you know, like we said, you know, I'm generally loyal. I think I'm a person of integrity. But the truth is, ingratitude can sneak up on us. It can sneak in in so many different ways. And Jesus told a story told a story about two sons. It's a familiar story to you. This may be a little different perspective on it. It's a story of a younger son and an older son, and you can see the ungrateful mindset in both of these sons. You know, it's the story of the prodigal son, and at the heart of that story isn't necessarily rebellion or jealousy. At the heart of that story, there's a a mindset of ungratefulness. Uh, The first ungrateful mindset says, I want it now. I want it now. We can fall prey to that. You know, I go through the drive-thru to grab some lunch, and, and the lady tells me, hey, the french fries aren't ready yet, so would you pull around over there and park, and we will bring them out to you. And, and I'm sitting there in the car waiting, and, you know, it's been maybe three minutes, and I start muttering, you know, they call this fast food? I mean, I've got to hurry up and get back. I'm writing a sermon on gratitude, and I've got to get back. <laughs> I'm going to get back to it. And, and then it dawns on me. You know, somebody else is making my lunch. Somebody else, you know, they're cooking up the burger. They're making it the way I want it. They're just putting, you know, the pickles and the ketchup and the lettuce and just what I want on there. They're cooking French fries, and they're putting them in this little sack, and they're going to bring it to me, and they're going to do all of that in under 10 minutes. Yet I've been so conditioned that I'm entitled, I need to have it now. See this attitude in the young son and the, the prodigal son. Luke 15, 11, Jesus says, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, 
Father, give me my share of the estate. And you know, typically, you, you receive your share of the inheritance after someone dies. But this son says, uh, you know, Dad, I mean, just, just brazen. Dad, I don't want to wait till you're dead. I want it now. It's my money. I want it now. So the father, for whatever reason, gives it to him. And the Bible says that the son goes out and he squanders it. He blows it, wastes it, squanders it on wine, women, and karaoke. And, uh, yeah. What took the father years or decades to accumulate, the, the ungrateful son totally wasted in just a matter of weeks. He says, I want it now. You know, that, that, that's a mindset that we have. Uh, you can have that in, in, in the current generation. And actually, it's been creeping up on us. You know, it, it was true of my generation when we were younger, and, and I think it's even more true now. There's just a trend in that direction as a culture. But, you know, people today in their early 20s want what they want, and they want it now. And they want the same lifestyle that their parents have, that it took their parents 50, 60 years to amass. Kids at 20, 23, 28 want the same house, want the same car, want the same vacation, want the same benefits, same lifestyle. Shame on that generation. But how'd they get that way? (laughs) You know, they learned it from their parents. They learned it from my generation. You know, if I want it, I'm going to get it now. Because truthfully, it's been a long time ago, a long time ago. You know, my grandparents, they had this really old, really archaic philosophy that maybe you've never even, even encountered. But they believed this crazy thing. They thought if you want it, you save up your money and then you pay cash for it. You know, my grandma, I mean, grandma was especially crazy this way. If she didn't have the cash for it, she just didn't buy it. Because there was a time if you wanted something, you wouldn't buy it until you had the money in hand. And some of you are going, why why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just charge it and then pay 29% for it for the rest of your life? You know, I I know it's weird, but my grandparents, they would actually save up their money until they uh, had enough to pay for what they wanted to buy. They, They would do something that's called wait for it. They would actually wait for it. You know, it didn't mean you didn't get it on credit. You don't buy now and pay later. You save now and buy it when you've saved up for it. But, you know, we've been tra- trained. We've been conditioned. My generation, the next one after us, we've just been conditioned. If you want it, get it now. It's my money. I want it now. And if you don't have it right now, then somebody owes it to you. You know, I want it now. And so we wind up in debt. And the truth is, if you're in debt, apart from some kind of tragedy, if you're in debt, chances are it's because you have an I want it now mindset. And we just need to call it what it is. It's an entitlement mindset. And it flows out of a lack of gratitude. Next, Second mindset is I deserve more. Uh, The younger brother goes off, blows all his inheritance. One day he wakes up and realizes, you know, this is terrible. I mean, I'm here, I'm starving, I'm broke, I'm poor. He was living with pigs. 
and eating pig food. It was the only thing he could, he was so broke. And he realized, you know, if I went back, and the servants live better at my father's house. If I went back and just volunteered to be a servant there, I'd live better. And so he went back home. And when he got there, his father was waiting anxiously for him to return. And the father says, thank God my son is back. And, and he throws a big party for the son. And he gives him a new robe. And he gives him a ring. And he kills the fatted calf and says, you know, burgers for everybody. And the son's back. There was this big party for the prodigal son. And it's interesting because the older brother won't even go into the party. And so the father comes out and and says, you know, hey, what's the deal here? And the older son says, I've never squandered our inheritance. And you've never thrown a party for me. I deserve more than this, Dad. Luke 15, 29. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. He says, I deserve more. You know, what we see so often is just this attitude in, in our day of, I deserve more. I deserve a better paying job. If I can't get a better paying job, I'm just not going to work. If I can't get the job that gives me the benefits, gives me the salary, gives me what I want, then, then I'm, you know, I'm just not going to work. Because I deserve more. You know, you've got 10-year-olds who feel like they're being punished if they don't have a good enough cell phone. You know, 10-year-olds, you know, with a cell phone. I want a better phone. I can't get the apps I want on this one. I deserve more. You know, kids turn 16, and I, and I need a car. I need a new car. I mean, how many 16-year-olds do you see get a new car? I'm entitled to this. I deserve more. Well, where'd they learn that? Unfortunately, I learned it from my generation. I deserve this. I deserve this vacation. If I can't afford it, I'll just charge it. I deserve this house. If I can't afford it, I'll just go into debt to get it. I deserve this. Ungrateful mindsets. I want it now. I deserve more. The question is, am I going to be one of the nine or am I going to be the one? So let's just sit back. Let's ask God to show us ungratefulness uh, in our own hearts. I'd encourage you just to approach this. Don't don't get bristled up. Don't harden your heart. Don't try and justify yourself. Just just sit back and say, God, just show me any area of my life where I've got ungratefulness. And then let's just deal with it biblically. And so first area, just ask God to expose any material or financial ungratefulness that may be in your heart. I mean, are you just dissatisfied with your financial condition? Are you dissatisfied with the material things that you have? Oh, I'm dissatisfied with my TV. It's just not good enough. I can't really be happy unless I have the right TV or, or we don't have the right countertops. Or if we have another kid, they're going to have to share a bedroom. We need a bigger house because you can't raise a normal kid if he has to share a bedroom. That just wouldn't be right. Have you ever done this one? You know, walk into, into my closet full of clothes and, and look it over and say, man, I've got nothing to wear. Yeah. I mean, the funny thing is, who picked all that stuff out? Well, in my case, my wife, but okay. But, you know, you walk in, i got nothing to wear, and, and you're the one who picked it all out, and you're saying, I have nothing I like to wear. Um, 
You know, I've, I've been to places where people can really say, I've got nothing to wear. Because they really have nothing to wear. And yet, there I am in my closet full of things saying, you know, I've got nothing to wear because I just don't like anything that's in there. I don't like my car. You know, my car's three years old. My car's five years old. I don't have heated seats. I don't have an auto start. I have to get into a cold car. Oh, I wish I had more money. I wish I had a better job. I wish I had a better house. I wish I could provide more for my kids. That's, that's one way you kind of justify all this. I wish I could provide for more, more for my kids. I wish we could take better vacations. I wish we had more stuff. If that's you, then just check that right now. Just don't, don't try and justify it. Don't try and you know, explain it. Just say, you know what, God, I just have a spirit of material, financial ungratefulness, and I just want to work on that. Next one is relational ungratefulness. Maybe you're just sick and tired of the people in your life. Maybe you're tired of your parents being in your business. Maybe you know, your parents don't do whatever you think they should do. Maybe it's your husband. I wish he were more attentive. I wish he'd be the spiritual leader. I wish he would do more around the house. I mean, he's just not whatever it is you wish he were. Or maybe your wife. Maybe, oh, I wish she were more fun. I wish she were more responsive to me and my needs. I wish she weren't always off with her friends. I, I wish we had more time. She had more time for me. I wish she'd make more food around the house. You know, whatever it is that... She's not. I'm not happy. I don't have a girlfriend. I wish I had a boyfriend like everybody else. I wish I had more friends. I wish I had better friends. You know, if you're relationally ungrateful, just go ahead and say that. Say, yeah, that's me. Be honest. Third thing would be circumstantial ungratefulness. There's just certain things about my situation that I just do not like, that I am unhappy with. I don't like my job. I don't like my house. I don't like my hair. I don't like my lack of hair. I'm too short. I'm too tall. I'm too, you know, just whatever the circumstances are. You know, just call it what it is. It's an attitude of ungratefulness. And just, and just check that. Say, yeah, God, I feel that. There's a level of ungratefulness in all our lives. That's just part of our fallen condition. So what do we do with it? How do we change it? Let's take a look here. Here's how, here's how we change it. Here's how we go from being entitled to being grateful. You just decide to turn blessings into praise. We just decide that every blessing that God gives us, we're going to turn it into praise. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. And you probably recognize that as a verse out of a song, and you ought to be grateful I didn't sing it. But the, the goal is that just every blessing that comes, I turn it back to praise to God. Because this is why it's important. Because every blessing I don't turn back to praise turns into pride. You know, every blessing I don't turn to praise turns to pride. Because now it's the I deserve it. I had this coming to me. I earned this. I am worthy of this. I am entitled to this. That flows out of a pride. It flows out of a, I deserve more and I want it now. And instead of recognizing that every blessing comes from God, every good thing comes from the giver of all gifts, you know, I start to focus in on myself and that taints it. So I've just got to 
pause and give him praise and honor and credit for this. I've got to cultivate an attitude of gratitude. Paul said it this way in Philippians 4. He says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Any and every relationship, any and every circumstance, any and every financial condition. He says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And whatever the circumstances are, rich, poor, healthy, ill, I like my job, I don't like my job, whatever the circumstances. Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content. And, and, and it's, it's something that you learn. It's a mindset. You've got to train your mind. You've got to train your heart, your attitude, your spirit. You know, we've talked about all these virtues. None of them come naturally to us. They all have to be, be trained and built into us as we yield our lives to Christ. Truth is, gratitude is going is to flow out of my life as a fruit of Christ's involvement in my life. I can do anything through Christ who gives me strength. Because by nature, we're not grateful, we're not contented. Ecclesiastes 6.9 says, Better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. You know, better what, better what is right before you, better what God has given you than this roving appetite of desiring more, desiring more, longing for what I wish I had, but, but I don't. Better for what the eye sees. It's a learned state of contentment. Proverbs 15 says, The cheerful heart has a continual feast. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. And so the next time you feel this kind of coming in, oh, I don't like my car, I wish I had a better car, just, just get a different perspective. Just turn that back in, in, into, rather than complaining, turn it into praising. Rather than complaining about what you've got or what you don't have, just thank God that you have a car. The truth is, if you have a car, any car, any car puts you in the top 5% of the world's wealthiest people. We, we take that for granted around here. 95% of the world's population has no car. They just don't have that kind of transportation. Oh, my house. My house is just always a mess. Well, well, turn that around. Thank God that you have family and you have friends who are around you and want to be around you and who are participating in your life and they come and they enjoy your house. Oh, our house is too small. Our house is too old. I wish we had a new house. I wish we had a bigger house. Just change your perspective. Say, God, thank you that we have a house. Thank you that we've got a toilet and an air conditioner and a furnace. We've got running water inside the house. I mean, lots of people. The vast majority of the population of the earth do, do not have it. They would love, they would die to live in your house. Turn that around. I don't like my job. I don't like the people that I work with. You know, change your perspective. Thank God you've got a job. There are lots of people who will never have the opportunity to work at the job that you work at. Never have the opportunity to make what you make. Never have it. Oh, I don't like this about my body. You, know, you need to thank God for every bit of health that you have. I mean, you're at least well enough and can think enough to complain. And there are lots of people who can't do that. Lots of people who aren't well enough. Lots of people who aren't even, even mentally well enough to be able to, to complain. So thank God for 
where you're at. And thank God, not just for the material things, but thank God that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to give you a new life in Christ. Thank God that that Christ has died to pay the penalty for your sins and that God is moving into your life and forgiving you and transforming you. And he's helping you to develop the forgotten virtue of gratitude for the things that you have in your life. Let's pray together. God, I pray that you would, you would forgive us for our ungratefulness, that you had mercy on us for our spirit of entitlement. And God, I pray that you would change us, that you would change us so we would never complain when you've blessed us beyond what we could ever imagine. God, help us to see those that are truly without so we can know how much we have and how grateful we should be. And help us to to be the one, not just to feel gratitude, but God, help us to be the one to show it to you, to show it to your people. God, help us to turn every blessing that you pour out into praise, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just praise Christ together.